What's up, sports fans? My name is Lucas Weiss, host of the Weiss Sports Chronicles podcast. We got a great episode for you today. Next up is Brody Miller. He's the LSU Tigers beat reporter for The Athletic. In this episode, I chat with Brody about covering Joe Burrow, the 2019 LSU Tigers national championship season, and his approach to covering tragedy. Brody was tasked to write about the family of a reporter that tragically passed away in a plane crash. And it's a wonderful piece in The Athletic. It was one of the best athletic pieces of 2020. And then we dive into Brody's sports media career and he provides some excellent advice for young journalists looking to break into the industry. The We Sports Chronicles podcast is available on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. So make sure to like, rate, watch, and subscribe to all three of those channels. Now let's get to episode 101 with Brody Miller on the We Sports Chronicles podcast. All right, as I said off the top, I am pleased to be joined by Brody Miller. Brody covers the LSU Tigers football team for The Athletic, and he joins me live on the We Sports Chronicles podcast. Brody, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. How's everything going on your end? Oh, things are great, man. I mean, it's, you know, we're we're, we're a week out till uh, Christmas when we're recording this. So, so still, uh, you know, as you, as per usual, I mean, I know it's a bit different this year, but still trying to figure out, you know, the last minute gifts, but you know, that's, you know, what else is new? <laughs> yeah, I'm with you there. Absolutely, man. That's going to be a mad dash to the end, but hey, I think we'll get the benefit of the doubt this year because it's a pandemic, right? For sure. For sure. Well, listen, Brody, really excited to have you on the show. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll get to various things in, you know, your career and LSU and whatnot, but I mean, I'm based in Toronto. Have, have your travels ever brought you to Canada before in, in your uh, sports media career? No, unfortunately, it hasn't. It's honestly one of, the, one of the many places I really genuinely want to go. Yeah, I've lived in like eight states at this point and <laughs> been all over the country for this, but I have not been to Canada in any way, I don't think, which is kind of crazy, but hopefully soon, man. I really, I, Toronto is somewhere like that's like very, very high on my list. Yeah, no, and well, I mean, fingers crossed when the border reopens, but and, and, and I feel like for many Canadians, they would like to say the same thing about going to, to Death Valley and... Uh, catching an LSU Tigers game live. So maybe we'll just start there. I mean, I know you've been covering the team for so long, so it probably doesn't feel that, you know, surreal when you go into, you know, Tiger Stadium. But for anyone that's never been, what is that experience like? Yeah, you know, you know, you know, I'm somebody who I went to Indiana. I'm from Big Ten country. I grew up in Jersey. So, like, I've, you know, I've been able to see, like, the Big Ten up close, the ACC up close, a bunch of different places. And so – you know, no part of me is like saying this just somebody like wants to back the LSU or the SEC or anything like that. If anything, probably to the contrary, but Tiger Stadium really is, I think the most pretty, I would say it's the best stadium I've been into period, just in terms of it really does feel like a different thing. I mean, you know, the adjectives you can come up with are kind of cliche. So it's like, you almost want to avoid them, but they are, it's deafening in there. I mean, it is like a you feel like the world is just kind of collapsing on the field a little bit. And it has that, my favorite stadiums are the one where the, the, you know, the crowd's pretty close to the field, you know, it's kind of on top of it, you know, cause there are a lot of more modern ones where it's a little bit like a space between and it feels like more like a, like a, I don't know, almost like a, 
know, basketball, there can be a space sometimes in the NBA and stuff. And I think you know, that's the thing I love about it. But you also the, the key factor that makes Tiger Stadium amazing is that everybody's been tailgating and drinking since about <laughs> 8 a.m. So they and they they pretty much only play night games there. So it's like 12 hours of just boozing going on and just like a, a fan base in an entire state that their entire like identity is, is built around what's going to happen on this Saturday. So it's uh, it really is my favorite environment to be in. I've been lucky to, to cover it for the last three years. So... If you're recommending, let's say, you know, a few Canadians wanting to take a road trip down to to tell us you, I mean, you know, do you get there Friday night? Do you, of course, participate in the tailgates? Like, what are some of like the the key essentials for for really enjoying a an LSU uh, football experience? Yeah, I'd say definitely get down there at least Friday beforehand, and uh, I mean. Louisiana is some of the best food in, in the entire world, yeah. to be quite honest. I mean, it's it's incredible. So, yeah, I'd say get down there Friday, get dinner at one of the amazing places here and lunch down there and, and spend a night out in the town. Baton Rouge is really fun. Or more importantly, maybe go spend a night in New Orleans or yeah. go to brunch on Sunday in New Orleans. You know, do something like that because, I mean, that's I live in New Orleans now, actually. I commuted the first two years that I was in Baton Rouge. But, but yeah, so I, I definitely advise getting there as, as early as you can and really do a whole weekend down here and then, wake up Saturday morning and let's say it's seven o'clock game or a six o'clock game, be out there by 10 a.m. at the earliest because everyone else has already been out there for earlier and, and there's tailgates going on everywhere. People are cooking some food that you've just never seen in your life. They're making boudin, they're making jambalaya. I mean, if it's a cold game, they might be making some gumbo and, and even the basics, but they're just making it better than anywhere else, quite frankly. And, and what makes an LSU tailgate so good is one, the food, of course, but two, the fact that just kind of everyone there is pretty welcoming. Like you could just go up to a stranger's tailgate and just kind of, and they'll try to feed you. Like that's not <laughs> the case everywhere. It really isn't. So I, I think that I would absolutely advise that for sure. What about on, uh, you know, Alabama LSU game days? I'm sure they don't uh, accept any Alabama fans at some tailgates. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, but you'd be surprised. Actually. Okay. You'd be surprised how much if you go to an LSU tailgate, you're probably going to see one or two fans of the opposing team and stuff like that. Just because that's how it goes. And like, as much as it's like, a, I hate you. It's also like everyone for the most part, except for like some drunk 20 year olds is, is pretty much a human being. And generally of course. It's like, we're kind of all in the same boat here. So no, it's, it's not that like that too bad. So speaking of New Orleans, you of course had the chance to cover LSU win the national championship. It feels like a whole world lifetime ago, way back in uh, early January of 2020. Um, but when you when you look back now, I mean, you know, and reflect on on that experience, Brody. I mean, I'm sure you've been covering the team, you know, a few years before that, and you've gotten to know a lot of the players, the coaches, and and built relationships. Just Maybe like what was that experience like for you to be able to cover this this team that truly capped off a historic season? Yeah, you know, I mean, I, really, I, I remember joking that that winter, you know, a few months ago, and just kind of joking like, "Hey, chances are I'll probably cover some other championship in my life, right? It's, it's probably not the last championship I'll ever see." But I, I do. I was kind of joking though, but regardless, I still think I might have just like peaked career wise and story wise last fall because it was. It wasn't just that it was, you know, championship team. Like we've seen, you know, Bama wins championships all the time. Clemson does, but it was for a reporter just a a Super Bowl in the sense that it was just it was every amazing storyline coming into one. It was the program that had kind of been in the dumps for a decade in Louisiana. It was the head coach who was pretty much the 
biggest coaching turnaround in, in history, really, that I can ever think of. A guy who was one of the all-time failures, one of the most made fun of people ever, who has this ridiculous accent to a lot of people and, you know, has so much personality. Even he's the guy winning coach of the year. It's the quarterback who was a bust, not a bust, but didn't win the job at Ohio State who came and, like, saved this program that also offensively had been in the Stone Age for decades and ran this very archaic offense. And then this guy from Ohio comes down and, you know, builds the best offense anyone's ever seen. And, you know, everyone was just a big personality. The receivers were, you know, these charismatic guys dancing in the end zone. The, you know, even like, you know, the best freshman in the country, Derek Stingley, he was like a football robot. Like there's just so many personalities and stories and the trainers were developing all this amazing technology I got to write about. And, and, you know, there was so much stuff that it was just kind of a, a Super Bowl. And yeah, I mean, like you said, you build those relationships. No, I mean, I'm not rooting for LSU or anything like that. And I'm not that close to these people. But it is it is cool when you, you know, you're there at the ground floor of something. You see something, quite frankly, special get built. It's just not, you know, the norm. You know, I got to see, you know, Joe Burrow come in, have a, an okay first, first season. And then you got to see these just pieces turn and these things come together. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, you were watching royalty. You're watching, you know, one of the best teams you will ever see. And you, you, you do have to kind of sometimes just stop yourself, step back, and just like soak it in. Not only like, oh, how lucky I am, but like, hey, look what's actually happening here. Don't get just like bogged down with details of my day to day job and being like, what's their completion rate? No, just like enjoy it. And it really was a, a wild year. It was exhausting, but shoot, now they're bad, and this year's exhausting in a different way. So I guess it's always a trade off. Yeah, and then and and you mentioned how the national championship was was like a Super Bowl, and, and and I've had some you know writers on this podcast that have you know covered Super Bowls, covered big events, and and I find Brody that it's a little bit of differing opinions. Like some obviously you know love the big events, live for them because obviously you get the most eyeballs on the content, and it's a big event, right? That that happens every calendar year. But others say, well, there's so many people there, it could be quite chaotic, and it's Completely different than, let's say, a, you know, a you know, a, maybe a you know, an LSU game in the middle of the regular season. So, I'm just curious for you as as a reporter, were you like, did you enjoy that experience, and how were you able to get stories that not many people were able to get, given that, but there were all these people here. So, how were you able to balance all those uh, all those things? Yeah, and for what it's worth, when I said that it was like the Super Bowl, I meant the Super Bowl for a reporter. Like, yeah. the whole season was one long Super Bowl for a reporter <laughs> of, like, don't blow it. But, uh, but no, yeah, no, it, I, I'll i be honest with you. I'm not just saying this. Like, my favorite, I mean, I love writing features. It's one of my favorite things. It's like, you know, what I think I've, you know, got here on. And, mm-hmm. and I, I love that part of it. I love all the nitty-gritty parts of covering football, all that. But the thing I just, like, enjoy the most and get the biggest thrill at is just being at a scene and just like trying to find the story and it's almost like a game in your head you have mm. to almost think of it that way of like a puzzle you're putting together and like all right we're all watching the same game but how's this person going to go about writing the story how what story is this person going to see out of this game and like just seeing the different ways to to kind of put these things together is the coolest part to me and i, I live for you know deadline stories and game day stories because that's my favorite part it's like you know, it's just like, how can you turn around a story? Can you build a narrative in, in three hours? You know, those kind of things. It's That's heaven to me. It's crack to me. So uh, I think uh, covering a championship or a Super Bowl or, a, you know, Final Four or whatever, those are my favorite things because of that. Because it's like every reporter in the country is there. Everyone who covers this is there. And everyone's trying to write the best story. So it's, it's fun because we're all watching the same game, like I said. So it's like, 
how can you make yours different? That is what I personally like live for. It's the coolest thing. And by the way, I love getting out of a, on a, on a Sunday morning and waking up and reading everyone else's and being like, all right, he did that. His was better. All right. He came up with something I didn't, or, or maybe on this one, like, all right, I actually think I found the best angle. You know, that's, that's like, you know, we cover sports, but that's our sport. And that's, that's the, and you know, that as well as me, but like, that's the part I live for. Absolutely. And and look, you, you mentioned earlier how, I mean, there were so many big personalities on this team and, and so many big players that have been had been talked about throughout the season. Like they just weren't talked about national championship night, of course, Joe Burrow winning the Heisman. He was a big story. So sort of speaking along the lines of making you stand out and being different, like how did you approach that on, you know, national championship night trying to chronicle this really important moment in LSU history but also making it a little bit different than your competitors your your, your fellow colleagues well <laughs> uh, there's probably a longer story of my national championship day that I'll, uh, maybe I'll tell you off air sometime okay I guess the abridged the abridged version is that I probably was out too long the night before okay uh, like like an idiot in New Orleans and um and Quite frankly, I was on very little sleep, and this is the biggest event you know I've covered in my life, let alone as like the LSU beat reporters. So there's like a weight there to it, you know, like a pressure. Yep. And to be really honest, I mean, I'm reporting that story, and I sat down to write it. And by the way, it's never happened in my life. I've never had a problem my entire life, like just cranking out a story. It's 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 just you know we all it just kind of comes you know natural. I think if you do the work, if you do the reporting, of the the story's there. And that night, I just I had no sleep. You know, not feeling great, and I just froze. I actually just like couldn't write. I've never had this happen in my life. I got anxious. I almost like panicked. Uh, it, it was. And granted, I'm lucky to work at the athletic where I don't have like an exact deadline necessarily. Because mm. I think if I worked at the you know the Baton Rouge Advocate, I don't know what I would have done that <laughs> night, and I don't know if I would have had a story on on deadline. But uh, but yeah, and I just had this like freak out. But I had spent so much time in the locker room, and I spent so much time covering this team, and I followed Ed Ogeron around, and I followed Joe Burrow around, and I had done all the work. And I, that's always my advice to anyone, really. It's just like, if you don't know what to write, that means you didn't do the reporting. This wasn't one of those times. I just like literally was freaking out. <laughs> so I ended up like, uh, I ended up having to like just walk away. I did like a walk around town because I just like needed to step away. And I went into my hotel room and ended up like, I'm, this is not made up. I didn't start writing that story until I think like 4 a.m. Like wow. It was, and granted, the game wasn't over till like midnight. I probably wasn't done reporting. I remember until 11 and the game, I probably, the reporting wasn't, I didn't sit down anyway till midnight for what it's worth. But, you know, and then, you know, I probably didn't start writing until four and I just like, I thought it was the worst story I've ever wrote. But to answer your question, I kind of, what I did that night was I tried to make it almost like a bunch of little vign- vignettes and anecdotes about that night that told the story of this entire season, but in one night, you know, mm. the story of Ed, o- like, you know, I think I led with Ed Ogeron walking around that field. And it's just like, you know, I led with the story of Ed Ogeron who, you know, this guy who was written off was a failure. And then this very Cajun man who brought LSU a championship again. And then I, then I cut to Joe Burrow walking around with a, you know, a cigar in his mouth, yep. and a big dick Joe hat on, you know, yeah. and like, you know, just trying to jump around to the different parts of the team. And, you know, the punter who was at that 2011 championship, where they lost 21, nothing, you know, and like how now he's here, you know, just like, and tried to just really in use the micro to tell the macro, you know, and I think, uh, I'm not, that's just one of the few stories I actually ended up being really proud of, which is funny because like I said, that was a very long night in the morning. 
Don't worry, Brody. I'll, I, I won't follow up on the details of the night before. I'll save that for the after hours edition of the. See. I was just an idiot. <laughs> I'll save that for the after yeah, hour edition. Hey, the game's not. The game's not till seven o'clock. Like, what's the worst that can happen? Of course. Yeah. No, no, of course. But you know, I I think you you touch on an important lesson there because I think look like these these moments. I mean, look for for the players, it's a huge moment, but it's also big for the writers and the journalists there because. They are big events and you want to make sure that they are really good stories. But I always think like the best stories are the ones where the reporting really shines. Like you may have like there may be a better writer, there may be a better wordsmith, you know, trying to, you know, paint the picture of the moment. But if you can really report the hell out of a story, that really sets you apart. I think for any young journalist that's looking to get into, you know, covering a team or covering a sport. I think having those skills are so important because it just takes the reader to a place that, I mean, they're not there and and you're there. So I think it really provides a a great picture for a historical moment. Yeah, I mean, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, yeah, I think uh, a way I'd always put it is like, and this isn't directly to what you're saying, but I think there's something there that connects. And it's like, I remember hearing Wright Thompson once get asked what his favorite story was ever and he he kind of thought for a second he's like here's the problem he's like by the time i write any story i'm so just over it and exhausted with it and like poured over it that like i hate it and like i don't care about it i never want to see it again and i'm not saying like you should be that but it's like you should report something so well that you actually are just like sick of it and tired of it Mm -hmm. and like and that you should not report it so well that you don't feel like you have any, this is going to sound weird, but I actually think there's something to this and tell me if this doesn't make sense. So please be honest. But like, I feel like I tried to report it so well that I feel like I don't have enough Yeah. because I know it so well that it all, none of it's new to me. Does that mm-hmm. make any sense? Like, no, that does. New to me anymore because- that does. <laughs> it makes perfect sense. Cause I yeah. think like for so many, so many writers, right? Like we're, we are in the story, right? Like we're writing, we're reporting, we're interviewing. Yeah. And like, we, we don't look at it like a, a normal reader. That's just seen it, the published product and that's it. They don't know the process. And I think a lot of writers, like even the stories that we publish, we, we, we second guess all, all the time and we make sure all oh, that could have been better that, you know, this phrase could have been better. So that totally makes sense to, to me and I think a lot of writers. And it's like, yeah, and it's not like, because I think when we're writing, we're reporting something often, you know, we, we fall in love with a detail or something cool, new we heard. And it's like, keep reporting, keep reporting until you're at the point that you're not just like reciting a quote and you're not just retelling the detail, but you can step back and you're not just reciting your notes. You know it so well that now you are just writing the story of what happened. And I think that's the best advice I ever got as a reporter is kind of that just to like know it so well, report it so well, and then throw, at least for your first draft, like throw your notes away. Honestly, mm-hmm. just do it and just like, and just write it like you know it and tell it like it's fact and tell it true. And then like, it will actually be better writing because you're just writing what you know and you're writing like the parts that are probably like dug into your stomach a little more because they matter to you. And you know, like that, I, I know it's like very vague, abstract advice, but like to just like write from your gut, but I believe in that. Yeah. You, of course, had access to covering Joe Burrow's historic you know, Heisman season for, for LSU. And, of course, now Joe's with the Cincinnati Bengals. And here's hoping he has a speedy recovery to, to those horrible injuries. Yeah. But uh, 
I mean, look, what 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 a what a historic season at at LSU, and then of course you mentioned earlier copping off with that you know epic cigar in the locker, you know, real you know looks like a you know a real gamer that you know that's that's the lasting image I feel like you get from from Joe Burrow in the national championship. So is I mean, when that moment, I mean, it sort of become you know a meme or a, you know an internet moment. It certainly blew up that night, but. Were you surprised at that, like knowing Joe's personality that that he would do that? Because it for me, you know, watching from afar, like this is someone that's obviously hyper competitor and just someone that look, you know, I just won, so crack out a cigar and let's celebrate. Yeah, it's a great question because Joe. I mean, I actually just like really enjoyed like diving into Joe because Joe is. This is not an exaggeration. Like, we'll see what his NFL career becomes and the injury, obviously, of course. But, like, I think, like, Joe Burrow and I'm not, is one of those just, like, alpha personalities yeah. that we glorify in sports. You know, like, mm-hmm. you're, literally, you're Michael Jordans, you're Tom Brady's, yeah. Bill Russell's, those people who are, like, so compulsively competitive. It's almost unhealthy, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, just those personas that, like, just are bigger than what they're doing. And, and Joe is fascinating because Joe's kind of awkward in some ways, but also super charming at the same time and, like, not very social and kind of, like, everyone loved Joe, but like Joe just kind of like kept to himself, you know, only like three teammates ever even saw his apartment. Like his life was just obsessing over a football, like a Tom Brady in some ways. And like literally just watching film, like working with Joe Brady and the receivers and just like trying to perfect this. It was, you know, he had fun in the off season, of course, but like, yeah, like he more than most people I know, he was like that. And he is that competitive and the stories are epic of him just like saying things on the field, the trash talk, but like he means it and mm-hmm. like, you know, and just, you know, firing up everybody because he's just so ridiculously focused. But, but he also, the, the thing that works in tandem with that competitiveness is he is the most confident human being I've ever met. And not in the trash talk way, not in the I'm like cocky way, but like in just the, he just inherently believes he is the best quarterback in the country in the mm-hmm. NFL. Like he to his core believes that and that's where that competitiveness comes out of. But because he's so focused and so confident, he's just like grind, grind, grind all the time. But I also always knew that like, if he ever really got it, you know, if he ever got to that point, the, like the championship, the whatever, like he was going to enjoy it, you know, cause he is that confident and that like, you know, like, believes himself so i knew the second one that title he was gonna just like lean into it because it was over you know he could finally just like turn that part off for a little bit and just enjoy it and i know he had a very fun night that night and uh and he you know just like you could even see him on the sideline during the game like they were playing neck on the then he was just like you know bouncing up and down and he like pointed to his ring walking off the field after one of his champions after one of his touchdowns because like he was just like he was going to enjoy it because after every Thing he went through like he was just gonna lean into it so I wouldn't say I was surprised but it was kind of confirmation of everything I believed about you well it's it's interesting because I think that you know as human beings and sports fans I think we 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 really relate or 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 admire or really revel in the athletes that that are those sort of ultra competitor alpha male personalities like an MJ a Tom Brady a Tiger Woods, right? And like, there are athletes too that have done great things, but they're just like they're like they're so just overly nice. Like I look at a guy like Roger Federer in tennis, obviously one of the best <laughs> tennis players of all time, but like it's so like grace gracious and you know just such a nice guy, and that's great. But I, but I think like the best stories are the guys like a Joe Burrow that just are just they're just so competitive, and you just want to see that. 
you know, on full display. And, and, and I think it just, it, for, for reporters, it just leads to better stories and better content. Absolutely. I think, unfortunately, the true, like, it's probably not, like, healthy, but, like, a lot of the best stories are always just going to be extremes. They are. Yeah. It's getting, you know, like, it's just kind of how that works. Like, not, I don't want to use the word sensationalism, but there's something, you know, to that, you know? And, like, so, yeah, somebody who is just a little, like, crazy but in a healthy way is always going to be the better story and on the other hand if like someone's just the nicest human being ever that's also a story yeah that is like but like yeah it's just kind of extremes work that way and i think we all love sports because we are probably competitive like Mm -hmm. because we are like crap i want my team to win you know and like it bothers you when you don't that's probably how all of us got in this field it's probably how all of us watch this so it's like we are competitive and we love sports and we want to watch the guy win. So as storytellers, it's also like, also we want to write the best story, you know? Like, mm-hmm. So it's like a storyteller. It's like, you are just driven to a guy who is just that compelling and obsessive and just like, you know, like he is the ultimate, um, you know, wow. What's the term for main character? What is the term? What's the, protagonist. Protagonist. Yeah. Wow, no, geez. no worries. Ooh, <laughs> it's been a long week, man. That's yeah, I know, of course. Like Joe Burrow, for example, is the ultimate protagonist, an alpha out there on his own trying to lead his team to victory. Michael Jordan's the best one ever, and that's why we revere him more than anyone. So I think some of it really just comes down to also, like, those just foundations of storytelling, right? Like the protagonist trying to, you know, conquer all. And speaking of perhaps another protagonist, Ed Ogeron. And, you know, you mentioned earlier that, that you know, yeah. fantastic accent, and, you know, I... I remember a couple buddies of mine watching that LSU Alabama game and seeing that Insta Live of him, you know, like the post uh, post game chant that he did with his guys. Like you, like you can't help but uh, get get excited after that. So I guess to sort of carry along the lines with Joe Burrow, like do, do you think he found the perfect match with a head coach with with Ed Ogeron, who's who's also very competitive and also just very passionate. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's a good question. I don't know if there was necessarily anything to, like, they were perfect for each other in any kind of personality way and stuff like that. Like, you know, I don't know if it, I think sometimes things just work. But yeah. I think it was a good match. I'm not arguing that. But I think what makes that story so good and, like, those two together so good is it's two people who were absolute at the crossroads of their careers and their lives, quite frankly. You know, mm-hmm. at the time, going in summer of 2018, which also happens to be right when I was joining, starting to cover LSU, Ed John was undoubtedly on the hot seat. Nobody thought he should have got the LSU job. Uh, he had a disappointing first year, and it was like he lost to Troy the year before, and most people, you know, didn't think he was going to last that year. And then you have Joe Burrow, who didn't win the job at Ohio State. It was pretty much his last chance. And it was like these two people who basically bet on each other, just like put their all their eggs in each other's baskets, for lack of a better term, and said like, let's do this. And I think that's what makes that even better. Like you're saying, it's just these two guys who needed each other and they had the best season that I've ever seen. So it's just, uh, it really is amazing in that sense. I want to shift gears and uh, talk about a piece that that you wrote that actually um, was included in the Athletics Best of 2020. And, and the title of it is, You Will Get Through This, How To... LSU families persist without Carly McCord. And for those of you who don't know the story, of course, Carly McCord was a reporter who uh, who tragically died in a plane crash. I believe, Brody, correct me if I'm wrong, like this was en route to the Peach Bowl, correct? Correct, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, obviously... Yeah, I mean, no, they, yeah they were... Go ahead. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Go ahead, yeah. Yeah, no, they were literally 
she's they were six people were I don't know, popping on a small plane to Lafayette to go, and her father in law was the LSU offensive coordinator, Steve Ensminger, and yep. she was flying to go see him coach in this game, and then yeah, she didn't make it. So. I mean, obviously, this you know, you know, you, you know, you're someone that said, you know, said earlier how you know features are, are sort of your, your your thing that you really love to write these features, but obviously when tragedy is involved, it, it's you know can be quite challenging. So I'm just curious for you, when did you just think about like, okay, I'm gonna write a story about this moment? Because obviously, this is you know during national championships, so you're not gonna probably write right after the fact, but you definitely probably wrote it out, you know, off season and just started and then got published this year. Yeah, you know, that's a story that I think, you know, I guess a little backstory. I mean, like Steve Ensminger's junior, obviously the widow, I mean, he was somebody who, I, I mean, obviously I write about Steve Ensminger all the time mm-hmm. and I find him so interesting, but Steve doesn't talk to the media. Like he's just not, you know, he's an older guy, grumpy Louisiana Cajun mm-hmm. man. He's very good person, but just, you know, doesn't really want to do that. And uh, <laughs> so whenever I would write a feature on him, I would usually go through Steven Ensminger Jr. because he's a really well-spoken guy, really good at kind of understanding, you know, like emotions and what's going on more than you know, your average interview does. And he was always so good at that. And, and I always talked to Steven and I, Stephen Jr. and I became, you know, close, you know, for a source relationship. Like he was, you know, I would borderline call him a friend, you know, he's a really good dude. And, and, you know, I knew Carly, honestly, I mean, not super well, but she was a reporter in Louisiana. Like she mm-hmm. probably covered all the same things. So, you know, I, I think it was something where when that happened, I was prepared, you know what I mean? Like I had these relationships and I went into it. And then, you know, the day after that came, I pretty much, and I wrote a story that night, of course, but I knew immediately, you know, I event I'm gonna wait take some time. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna wait a while, but I I think this is a story I have to pour myself into. And also like uh, if I'm just being honest, I'm always driven to stories of grieving. Mm-hmm. I, I am, you know, I lost my mother when I was nineteen. You know, we all have mm-hmm. losses, of course, but you know, I'm I always love those stories because I can connect to them and I can mm-hmm. relate to them. And I you know, another great piece of Wright Thompson advice is like every story, you know, basically fuck bias, like yeah. screw being unbiased because it's like every great story you write is probably about you in some small way because you understand it, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and yeah, so I think I waited a few months and the pandemic hit, so I didn't want to do it right away, but it was kind of like, well, I don't think the pandemic's going anywhere. So I, I you know, just kind of reached out and Stephen, luckily I had the relationship with Stephen. He understands what I do and how I do things. And I was just like, hey man, I I want to do this story that really captures Carly. More importantly, also captures what you're going through. And he was, you know, he's good with the media. He's now a coach again, so he's even better with the media. And he's just like, yeah, I understand. Let's let's do it. And he, he doesn't really like talking about it. He hadn't really talked about it much, but he understood. And he said, yeah. And then he, you know, set me up with uh, the McCord family and really, you know, put a good word in for me with them. And, and you know, it was just, it was one of the more rewarding reporting experiences I've ever been a part of, mm. by far, because, you know, socially distanced, of course, I sat in their living rooms and I, you know, we would sit there for an hour, two hours at a time and just, just talk. And that's also great interviewing advice is don't feel like you're interviewing them. Just feel like you're talking to them, mm-hmm. like, just like, oh man, like what happened? Like, you know, what happened? You know, and like, what, like, what, what? how do you feel about that? You know, and just, we just talked and it wasn't like, it wasn't an interview. I was talking about things too. And it was back and forth. And it was just like, by the end of it, like we're both crying at different times. Yeah. I felt like I, especially with his parents, I sat at his parents, her parents house for two and a half hours probably. And it was just like, by the end of it, it was like, 
it's funny because me and his parents we had different political views we had a lot of different like things and now but like we and we would even discuss those and by the end of it i'm like i want these people in my life for a while and mm-hmm. so i think you know that's an example of i was so in there and so just like part of it and felt it all so deeply that like when it came time to report it was simultaneously really easy but also really hard because it was like now i felt a weight and a pressure on it but but still it made it easy because i just like really poured my heart into it yeah i mean you know a lot a lot to unpack there and i and i think you know the point about i mean your yeah. you know experience with, with grief and, and death you know it's something that i think i mean we all go through but i think you know if, if you have that connection i think it probably makes it a little bit easier, I guess, to, to be able to, to, you know, write and connect with the interview subjects. And then I think the second point is, is just the fact that socially distanced, of course, that you could be there. And like, I, you know, I did a, a video feature for one of my, you know, journalism assignments at school. And, and, you know, it, it was one of the first times in 2020 since the pandemic started that I got to speak with someone socially distanced. And, it's just so much better than Zoom. I mean, like as much as Zoom is, you know, I can yeah, get anyone, yeah. you know, around the world, you and all my other guests, the fact that you could just be there in person and, and set the scene, which you did a really good job of in your piece, I just think it provides so much color that, you know, a Zoom conversation just can't do because you're just staring at a webcam or a computer screen. So I think, you know, you know that... That's so important, especially when, you know, you're talking about such a serious topic um, like this story. No, I mean, there's a whole other tangent we could go on just about reporting in 2020, to be honest. Yeah. You know, you know it, too. It's just like, yeah, I mean, it's it's been the least. I mean, granted, I got to do that story, and I really enjoyed That was, like you said, the most probably the most rewarding story I've ever done. But if you take that out of it, this was the least enjoyable or rewarding year of doing this job I've yeah. ever had because of the things you're saying. like. I'm not connecting with these people the same way. And that goes, that that the, that ripples out a lot of ways, you know, like player interviews at LSU and we're normally sitting around a table and like talking to guys and I can just like pick someone's brain while no one else is talking to them. Like that's gone. So you're only talking to them over a zoom where like it's your turn to ask a question and, and all these things. And, and, you know, I, 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 so that's not personal at all, you know, and that's, so now like that hurts you. And then it hurts your ability to get story ideas because you're not talking to people and you're not around the facilities. So you're not getting that kind of stuff and, you know, or any good interview you do for a feature, it's probably on the phone and just like it's, or zoom, you know, it's just, it's, it's very impersonal. And I think it's made this year, it's no one's fault. I don't blame anyone, mm-hmm. you know, not poor me, but it's just made this year really kind of unfortunate in that sense and just because kind of it's tough but i was lucky with that story to be in person to to do those things and i could actually you know get closer and that shows the difference so just another question brody with that story you know you mentioned how you you know you spoke you spent you know two and a half hours you know speaking with you know the parents and i'm sure many more hours talking to the various interview subjects in the story so I guess for a young writer or, or a journalist writing a feature, because I mean that's a big step up from the from just the normal piece. How do you sort of sift through all that? Like, how do you sift through the interviews and and just the moment to then figure out, okay, what am I going to include in a piece like this, where again you're trying to balance a lot of different things, right? Being eloquent, but also being respectful of this uh, tragic situation. Yeah, I mean, that's a big question. Yeah, yeah, obviously. One that probably could do like a three-hour thing on. But yeah, I mean, it's something where I think some of that, 
and again, this, I'll, I'll start with my abstract advice, which is back across saying about reporting. And like, I think to some extent, like you just have to like, your story has to come from your gut. Like when, in terms of like what your focus is and like what like your theme of the story is, like you just have to like feel that from your gut just a little bit. Like what feeling am I feeling as I reported that? What like did I feel in my gut while I was doing all this? And like that has to kind of guide you and that's not scientific and I don't, you probably can't even teach that. It's just like we are and how you see things, which is important. But, uh, but no, and then on top of that, I mean, there's, so many incredible lessons I've learned from professors and whatnot about like, you know, like you start with your just foundational theme, right? Like what is your foundational thing you're going for? And this one, it's of course, how, you know, you, and you should be able to describe your theme in a sentence. And if you can't, you don't know it. And like, how do you, how do you move on when your entire life gets rattled? I mean, it's that simple really. Hmm. And, and I, you start there and then you just work your way outward, you know, from the details. You start with this one core thing and then you just kind of just break it up and figure out like, all right, what are the little details that explain that best? And, you know, where do you go? And it's kind of, I mean, yeah, I'm rambling because it's so hard to mm -hmm. put that together and it takes so much time. And I think that that's true of anyone, like, because you're just figuring out like, okay, how do you introduce these people? Right? Yeah. How do you no one likes writing a boring nut graph of like, here's what you need to know, but you can't, you know, and just like, you know, and it's like, when do I actually get to the plane crash? You know, that's, mm -hmm. it's like, I don't want to lead with the plane crash because it's not about that, but it's still like, you need that in there, you know? So it's a, uh, it's a lot of just figuring out like, how do you map out the way to get there? And for me, I've got, I have a whiteboard right here above me, my left that uh, I've become a huge fan of using my big whiteboard and like putting my notes and like making like a tree of how I want to get to things. But it's really like what I'm saying, yeah, it's start with your bottom foundational thing and then just work your way out and then figure out how you feel about things. This all sounds so stupid. And like, and just kind of try to, try to work it. Like think of the way you watch movies and when that big scene in the movie gets there and like, how did they get there and you study those things and you figure that out and you just sift through and like you circle the quotes you love you circle the detail you love you highlight that feeling you like and just like try to get there i don't know that's a terrible terrible unhelpful answer because i can give you any constructive no response but it's just it, it, no it's, it's a process and it's you're always figuring it out it is and i think you know again like what makes this piece really great as well is that like there's a lot of just scene setting, which I think a lot of really good features do a good job of. And, you know, there are there are quotes intermittent throughout there. But, again, I think, like, you know, your, your narrative and your writing certainly shines through. And I think another thing, too, especially with a story like this, Brody, is, like, your interviewing skills and being able to get them in a place where they can be revealing about what they're feeling. I'm sure... You know, you've had years of experience as a journalist, so this is, you know, part of your job. But, like, again, for any young reporter, young journalist, like, the, the interviewing is so key, especially talking about these heavy topics, to get them to a, a comfortable place to, to, to talk about a, a real tragedy. Yeah, I think I'd start there by saying credit to the Ensminger and McCord family. Of course. Honestly. Like, some of that wasn't even me, you know? It was just, like these people were so incredible not just in how giving they were and not just in how they've been battling this but how they were you know as an interviewer and how they were able to understand where they were and understand how they felt and a lot of the times with this you know a reporter's job is to be the one to like 
figure out what they don't know about themselves. You know, and I think that's where like Greg Thompson's the greatest dad or Gary Smith's the greatest dad. Yep. But like, I mean, they, they understood where they were at. They knew how they felt about everything and they could articulate it. And that made my job so much easier than it should have been. But, but still, I mean, what I'd say is what I was saying earlier, it really is just, don't feel like you're an interviewer. Don't feel like you're like, don't let them feel like they feel like a reporter sitting there in their kitchen talking to them. Just be a guy, be a dude, be a person. Mm-hmm. Just like, who's just like, you know, put your notebook away a little bit, you know, and like, put your record, don't make your recorder obvious. And just like, lean forward and listen to them. Be like, hey, yeah, like, what was that like? And it doesn't have to be some grand, you know, interviewee question, but just like, you know, talk about that and just like, let them tell you. And just, yeah, I think it, it's all, I think empathy and relatability are the most important things in an interviewer. It's not like, it's not about how good you are at asking questions. It's not about like, do you have the right angle of the question? It's just like be empathetic because then they'll tell you more and they'll trust you and they'll they'll take you where the story, and listen. Um, the number one thing is listen. Don't have your mm-hmm. list of questions. Like, and you're, hey, for what it's worth, you're great at this, you know? For uh, like, <laughs> you know, it's just like, listen to what they're saying and then ask a follow-up. And I think those are just like the simplest, simplest interviewing pieces of advice ever, but they mean everything. I want to end with talking just a little bit about your career journey before the athletic. I mean, you know, you've had, you know, you mentioned earlier you graduated from Indiana University. You had stops at the Pittsburgh Post Gazette, the Indianapolis Star, the Clarion Ledger, NOLA.com. And I feel like that's a common path for a lot of journalists, Brody. I mean, you know, you have to go, you know, different stops to get your reps and. You know, a lot of traveling to different places before you end up at, you know, your current opportunity, you know, current job at, at the Athletics. So, I guess for you, in your career, I mean, what have been the, I mean, how has that journey sort of shaped you as a journalist and just being able to, you know, take, you know, a lot, I guess a lot of knowledge and skills from the various different places in just shaping you in, in, in your current role today? Yeah, it's a great. I mean, I think I think I start with the fact, honestly, I was really fortunate. and I hated it as a kid, but I was very fortunate to have had to move like three times as a kid. Mm. Move from like Ohio to California to Jersey, then Indiana. And you know, like I hated it, but it makes you kind of malleable, and it makes you pretty. I'm, I don't code switching sounds like malicious, but like <laughs> kind of be able to adjust adjust who you need to be around different people and empathize and just like you know meet and be social but not i mean i'm not I actually am not i'm an introvert probably but like you know but i can be social when i need to be and i think those skills were really important and then and going to college in indiana despite growing up in jersey and those kind of things really help but career-wise i think i will be the first to have been on the luckiest person in the world with how my career is gone but it also gives it's a lesson in the sense that like network i mean like mm-hmm. don't be like that creepy person who's pushing too hard to network no one likes that person and they sniff them out immediately <laughs> yeah like i made really good friends organically not like intentionally with but made really good friends with the iu like the professional iu reporters in bloomington you know when i was a college kid and they became my friends and then when it came time for internships like they you know put in a good word with me with some editors and i mean shoot like when i was finishing up my internship at the indy star uh, you know, somewhere after I graduated, I was probably just gonna, the plan was probably for me to just like stay on as like an extended intern for another year. And then the Clarion Ledger had an opening and that editor used to be good friends with my buddy, Zach Osterman, who's the IU reporter still at the Indy Star. 
And apparently Hugh Tellenberger is now the executive college basketball editor at The Athletic, but he was the Clarion Ledger editor, send a group text to friends like, hey, I have like two weeks to fill this job or it's going to go away. Anyone know of anyone young and cheap? <laughs> and, like, <laughs> and and my buddy Zach was in it and was like, hey, get you know, go for this guy. And then like it happened in the span of 48 hours. And like if my buddy wasn't in that group chat, like would I be where I am? Like it's stuff like that. So I, I that's just a side lesson to your question, but like network build relationships and that's yes skills gonna get you through the door but if you want to like get to the door like you need those just it's unfortunate as hell but it's true um but in terms of like lessons and things like that i've learned i think it's just i think i'm fortunate to have lived all over the country and like not go in with like these built-in ideas of how certain areas of the country are because the south has its own thing the midwest has its own thing and a lot of people are put off by all those things new jersey people absolutely are their own thing you know so like being able to you know be malleable in that sense i think was big and also just you know i came up as a in you know first you intern at these papers and you learn how what it's like to really be at the bottom and like just do the grunt work or or, you know, being, you know, when I was in Mississippi at the Clarion Ledger for about nine months, you know, like I was able to do a lot of features. They were great to me there, but a lot of what I'm doing is, you know, high school reporting. That's the best skill you could ever learn. Do high school reporting. Don't think you're better than high school reporting to anyone who's listening to the show. Like, don't think you're better than that. This is the most important skills you will ever learn. It's how to learn how to be an on the ground reporter and turn something around fast. It's how to like, you don't have the stats and everything in front of you. So you have to do your own work. You have to actually talk to people to get story ideas and like actually, like work connection like build sources with coaches and players and all these things to pay off down the road because it's not like college where there's this like obvious like you have your interviews on monday and that's all wednesday no you have to get in there and those are the most number one thing is to do that and then and then yeah i mean then i went to the new orleans times picky and you know covered lsu there and I think there I kind of learned how to be, I'm not always the best team player. I'm not like rude or anything like that, but I just kind of like, I'm not good because I, I'm anxious about like, if I'm doing enough and then like, I'm not good at like just communicating. I'm a terrible team player. Just the truth. <laughs> Everyone would tell you that. But uh, so like, I think I had to learn how to be on a team there and have a co-beat reporter and like work together on things. And I think those are examples. So there's so many people who come out of college and, they're just like want this dream job right away or this perfect job and it's like one you're not ready yeah two that's like that should be the thing you're pushing for and like you're not going to enjoy the road if you're like only thinking about that like enjoy the road honestly and like also like you need to you're, you need to build your skills at the other places and not not in the cliche like you got to put in your time but just like you will get better there i mean my number one advice to anyone when it comes to internships is like don't even if they offer it, don't take the big dog internship just because it's a cooler name. Take the one, it might be the better opportunity, but take the one that's going to give you places to do things, mm-hmm. to actually like go out and report and like do stories and actually like learn. Because like an ESPN or an SI internship, if we're being honest, like I have a lot of friends who've done that. I, and I said no because I've been told like you are basically just. I'm exaggerating, but like a coffee runner, you know, like yeah. you're just doing aggregations and you're just like posting stuff online. That's, that, that makes, that's how they normally are. But I chose the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette and the Indy Star instead because like I got to do stuff and then I got mm-hmm. better. So don't take the cooler sounder one. And so my long answer to that, and I apologize, is just like, think about the job you want in 20 years and making sure you're good enough to get there. You know, and I think that's the number one lesson I've learned in my way. 
Lots of lots of great advice there. Lots, <laughs> no, no, I love, I love, I love the lawn uh, candid answers. It's uh, great. Last question for you, Brody, and I usually do this with all my guests at the end. Is do you have a memorable story when a player coach chewed you out on the uh, on the job? <laughs> I love that. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, you know. Coach O's chewed me out a few times, but those are just kind of like, you know, whatever things that aren't really like personal or anything. The one that I always love to tell, I don't know how familiar you are with Tom Crean, the yep. OIU basketball coach. Yep. He was at Georgia, was at Marquette. And uh, <clears throat> so I'm a student reporter at the time, and I'll, I'll try to tell this quickly, but <laughs> the week before, I wasn't, I didn't travel to this game, but they were at Wisconsin. And I remember Nigel Hayes, and he was awesome. And Nigel Hayes just like went off on IU, and IU had this strength coach named Lionel Anderson. Who like you know how strength coaches are a lot of the times they're like they're there sometimes to be like the hype man the rowdy guy especially in football but in yeah. basketball too and that was kind of his thing but then like he started jawing back and forth with nigel hayes in the middle of the game and they're like talking trash to each other and it was like noticeable it was like a, it was embarrassing it was like a scene and then nigel hayes that, like motivated nigel hayes and then he dominated and he even said in his post-game interview like this guy was talking so much blah 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 so I wasn't there, but then the next game, you know, I'm like, all right, I'm gonna, yeah, I was the columnist, I think, for the student paper at the time. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to do a story just about, like, Lionel Anderson and what's going on there. And I watched him the whole game, and he's noticeably, you know, much quieter. Doesn't really do anything the whole game. So at post-game, I asked Tom Creed, and I'm like, hey, Tom, like, I basically asked, you know, he seemed quieter, blah, blah, blah. Like, were there any conversations had about what he should be doing on the bench after the Wisconsin game? And I can't do this justice because it was so visceral, but it was like, <laughs> he basically was just like, he let out like a, <laughs> it, was, it was bizarre. And he was just like, it was the weirdest sound. I was like, Pyaw! and then like, and he was just like exasperated. And he was just kind of like, you know what I'll do? You know, I'll do? I'm going to sit at the end of the bench and, not the, and I'm just going to watch my bench the whole game from now on. Will that make you happier if I just watch the bench, make sure no one's doing anything. I don't watch the game. Don't coach the game. I'm just going to stay on the end of the bench and watch the game. And like, and like I, he thought he was like, I think probably this has been a thing for him all week. You know what I mean? I was, yeah. was probably like just a straw that broke the camel's back. Moment yeah. And he was just going to do that to ever ask that. But, but, and like, he probably thought he was like getting at me, but I'm sitting there like trying not to laugh. Kind of like, <laughs> for being honest, like making a fool of himself. And I actually have a lot of respect for Tom Green. He's a good person. He's a good mm-hmm. person. But, but yeah, that was a bizarre moment. But I was also like a student and I, and I love that story mainly because like, I talk about networking and like coming up and like those little just like things of morale you need sometimes. But like, I remember after that happened, like the whole media core, all those veterans kind of went up to me. It's like, Hey, good job for asking that. Like way to hang in there. And you know, you're 20 years old. Like you need to hear that sometimes. So that's one of my favorites. Cause yeah, Tom Green was uh, a little combative with the media sometimes because he's not the most secure person that's uh that's a great story to to wrap this up brody miller he is a lsu tigers uh writer for the athletic college football make sure to check out his content there brody it was an absolute pleasure and thanks so much for coming on the we sports chronicles podcast it was a lot of fun thanks for having me man good luck with everything take care